If you would, take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We'll continue in our study in 2 Timothy. We have took a little bit of a break last week. We're squirrel! And uh, <laughs> had lots of comments last week, man. You will never probably ever hear a message about squirrels again in your life. Probably only here. So uh, maybe it uh, sounds like it sank into some of you. And uh, many of you commented this week. It's like, yeah, the squirrels are everywhere. And, and uh, you realize that they, they're just to distract. And some of you even said, you're exactly right, Pastor. He goes, I have tried everything to get them stinking squirrels off my bird feeders. And uh, so you, you went out with a vengeance to try to uh, fix the problem again after last week. But really, hopefully, as we walked away from last week's message, you had a good idea of what those squirrels are and how they really do distract. And God wants us to stay focused on what he has for us, right? And so we've got to stick to it. Well, the title of the message this morning is, For the Sake of the Gospel, I Suffer. For the sake of the gospel, I suffer. And I want to start out this morning by asking just a couple of questions. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? Uh, what is the motivation behind your actions and decisions? What is the motivation? What gets you to do what you do? Why do you do it? Um, for so many people, there's usually a strong motivation, a strong motivating factor behind what you do. Um, it may be money. For some people, money is a motivator, right? And without it, they're not doing it. And you better have a lot of it because uh, I'm not going to waste my time for a certain amount. And so money is the motivating factor behind what they do. Uh, for some people, it's not so much money, but it's a better position. Well, if I can get a better position, then I'll do it, whatever the task may be. And if I feel good about it, then, then yeah, I mean, I'm all in. But if I don't feel like it's going to benefit me none, it's not going to get me a better position. It's not going to get me a higher pay, a better you know, leverage, so to speak. I'm not going to do it. And for some people, it is they said, it's leverage. If I can have a better position to make decisions, or if it puts me in a position where I can leverage what I want to do in life, well, then maybe I'll do it. But what is the motivating factor? What are the circumstances that cause you to do or not do something? What is the motivating factor behind your decisions? You know, when it comes to the gospel, what is our motivation, motivating factor for serving God? You know, for some people, do we serve Him out of a heart of love? I mean, I want to do whatever I can for God because I know what He's done for me. In fact, 1 John tells us that we love Him because He what? First loved us. And so for some of us, that is a motivating factor. We want to love because he first loved us. We want to serve. We want to obey because he first loved us. And, you know, for some people, they serve and obey out of duty. Well, I know I should, so therefore I'll do it. Your heart's really not in it. You really don't see any benefit from doing it. But you know you should, so deep inside, even though you really don't want to, you do it because, it's, well, it's your duty. It's what you know you're supposed to do. And for some of us, that's probably the way wrong attitude in Serving God, right? We'd agree with that much, right? So do we serve and obey Him because of what He may or may not do for us? You know, there's, there's a percentage of Christianity that says, well, if I sense that it's good for me, if I sense that I get something out of it, you may not say it in those terms, you may not kind of like word it that way, but it's the idea that if I see that there's a benefit to it, then maybe I'll serve, maybe I'll obey, maybe I'll love, maybe I won't. 
So it's kind of a, comes down to a motivating factor of, well, it may or may not be advantageous. It may, not, may or may not be beneficial to me. Uh, it may or may not be a duty. But is it possible that there may not be anything at all that may, may motivate some of us? Maybe it's, there's no amount of seeing God at work that's going to make you take one step further with Him. Maybe there's no amount of God doing providing uh, for your needs or protecting you day by day or, or you know, just giving you His Holy, presence, His Holy Spirit as your presence everywhere you go. Maybe for some of you, you've just gotten to the point where you don't even care anymore. That's a sad place to get to. But for the Apostle Paul, his motivation was the Gospel. What if like everything in life wrapped around the idea of having to live out and present the Gospel? as a way of life. You know, my job is not so much a job where I go to get, make an income and to provide for my family as much as it's a mission field. It's where I get to live out the gospel. It's what I do. It's why I go to work. That's why I go through the, the junk that I go through at work because I have an opportunity to live out and present the gospel. And that's why I love my neighbors. Not so much because my neighbor is going to do anything for me, but because I get to live out and exemplify and present the gospel. My friends, it's not so much what they may or may not do for me as much as I get to live out and present the gospel. For Paul, his motivation for everything he did was the gospel. And if you take away the gospel, there's no reason to live it out, right? I mean, that's what, that's what really motivated him. It was his, the factors that were deep-seated in his heart behind everything that he did. It was the gospel. And so as I'm reading through this passage, I'm kind of like, what is the main theme of this next text? And it really is this. For the sake of the gospel, I suffer. I don't know about you, but none of us like suffering. None of us does. I don't like waking up in the morning. And by the way, we don't have a real good idea of what suffering is in our Christian walk in today's culture. We don't really. We really don't. But let's just assume for a second and maybe it's a medical issue. None of us likes to wake up in the morning and say, well, I just feel terrible today. Let's go. You know, when we don't feel good, it kind of, it kind of puts a damper on our whole day, right? You know, I mean, I mean, let's think about it just for a moment. We talked about this before, but you know, when you got a toothache, I mean, it's not wrong with your feet. Why don't you want to feel like going anywhere? Feet are fine. Oh, that tooth, that little tiny tooth, makes you want to not go anywhere. Or how about your backache? Well, your feet are still fine. Your feet can take you anywhere you want, but, but when your back hurts, you don't feel like doing anything. Or a headache. Well, you're gonna push through it, but man, my back's fine. My hands are fine. My arms are fine. My eyes are fine. But when you got a headache, you know, when one thing hurts, they all hurt, right? And when something happens, you don't. None of us enjoys that. We don't wake up in the morning and say, "Woo!" You hear that commercial on on the radio? It says, "Hey, mom, can I call in sick tomorrow?" No, I got a bad. I'm gonna have a headache tomorrow, so you have to wait. Maybe next week. And then dad pipes in and says, "No, I'm calling in for a sick day on that day." They're already planning the days off, right? Anybody remember that commercial lately? Yeah, some of you've heard that. Nobody enjoys that. Nobody wants to get up in the morning and say, "Well, I just don't feel good." Or nobody wants to go to work and say, well, that person really has got it out for me. If that's your form of suffering. Nobody wants to, you know, nobody wants to go to work and say, well, that person doesn't like me because I, I challenged something that they were doing wrong once. Nobody wants to have that friend. But what is our motivation? What if it were the gospel? And you're going into it with an idea that you know that the world doesn't quite understand it, but that's okay. I still have a, a, a desire to, to share the gospel. For the Apostle Paul, his motivation was the gospel. Consider this thought for a moment. What happens when we don't share the gospel? When we don't live it out? 
We miss opportunity to see people put their faith in Jesus Christ and have the hope of heaven. The gospel is why we're here on this earth. Does that mean that we're walking around preaching at everybody 24-7, 365? No. But it does mean that we're living it out. That we're living a life that would be picturesque of someone seeing Jesus in our life, right? Can we agree with that much? That's why the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me, right? So he says, I don't want people to see Paul, and we're going to see that in a moment. Don't, don't look at me, because it's not about me, right? It's never going to be about me. It's all about him. So I don't want people to look at me and see me. I want them to look at me and see Jesus. That's why John the Baptist said that I'm an image bearer. I'm just here to reflect the light of Christ. I'm not that Christ. I'm just one to, that was here to bear witness of the light, to say, you know, cry as one, one who's going ahead of him, saying, make way of the Lord, and so forth. So we're just to be a picture of Jesus Christ, even though we are not. We're to let people see Jesus in us. And that can only be done as we live out the gospel in our day-to-day living. And so, if you would, follow along as I kind of pick up this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and beginning with verse 8. Uh, chapter 2, verse 8. So he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. This is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So we see things, see several things right away in verse 8. The fact that he says, first of all, to remember Jesus. When are we, remember, when are we to remember Jesus? In every day, in every circumstance. We're all to reflect every day as we go about our actions and our reactions. How would Jesus do this? Remember the big craze several years ago with WWJD? What would Jesus do? We all know what Jesus would do. Our struggle is to do what he would do, right? We know what he would do. And so the struggle is that every day as we go about day, things are going to happen that we would not choose, that we would not pick, that we would not want to go through, but you're going to be called to go through them. And the question we have to respond is, hey, what would Jesus do? We're to remember Jesus in all these. And there's a reason why he says to remember Jesus. And he goes right into it. Remember Jesus, Christ, risen, descended, according to the gospel. And we know that is the very gospel. In fact, if you turn over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, just back a few pages, there are a couple chapters. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, it says, Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you, as most important, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. You see, that is the Gospel. There is no other Gospel. The very fact that Jesus Christ left the splendor of heaven, came down to live incarnate as flesh as man, to go through all the things that man goes through, think about that just for a moment, to experience fatigue. He left heaven to know what it was like to be a man and to be tired to be hungry, to have emotions. Remember in the case of Lazarus, that Jesus wept. Why? Because he loved him. He took on the limitations of flesh, 
left the splendor of heaven, even though he didn't have to, so that he could experience life as a man, yet tempted in every way, yet without sin. He lived it out. And but what he went through in this gospel was really what we talk about in baptism, as we'll look at in just a moment. But that's the gospel. And not all the roads lead to heaven. It'd be nice if you say, well, he's just a good guy. I mean, he's never, man, he never hurt anybody. I mean, everybody loved him, he just cared for people. I mean, he did everything he could to help people. If he doesn't believe the gospel and accept the gospel, the fact that Jesus Christ came down to earth, lived as a man, was buried, rose again the third day according to the scriptures, he's not saved. The reality is we have to put our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the gospel, right? And so that's where it's at. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Take, take your Bibles and turn back another couple books to Acts chapter 1. I love this. Acts chapter 1. And you're going to see the progression here. So we know what the gospel is. This is what Paul was saying, I live for. Remember Jesus Christ, risen, descended, according to the gospel, for which I suffer. So this gospel which motivated Paul, Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 80, says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So here he is. He says, you have what it takes to promote the gospel, to carry it on, to live it out day by day by day. You have the Holy Spirit upon you, but he doesn't stop there. So verse 9 says, after he said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. And let me just say this. Some of you are still gazing. He's left you with a task, and you're still wandering around, bobbling your fingers, wondering what to do next. The idea is that he says, don't just stand there. Do something with what I've given you. This is the motivating factor of the gospel, right? So he says, as you're still standing there, two men in white, and we see this verse 10. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? The same Jesus who has been taken from you and then will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. He says, listen, don't stand there. He's going to come back again. You've got a job to do until he returns, right? Can we agree with that? We have a job to do until he comes back. He doesn't stop there. So he goes on to verse 12. Look at this. And this is a key passage here. So what happens after he goes into heaven? After he sends into heaven, these men are saying, why gazing you there? You got, you, got, you got a job to do. Verse 12. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of... James, they all were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So here it is. They've been given a task to do, but before they went out and did that task, what did they do? They joined, came together and they joined in prayer. I wonder if sometimes we're not motivated to do because we haven't spent time in prayer first. One thing that God has taught me over the last couple of years is that I need to pray more than ever before. Did anybody else come to that realization? I'm a control freak. Maybe you didn't know that because maybe it's not as opening and open to all of you like maybe yours is, your issues. 
But I think we all like to control circumstances, right? Yeah, okay, there are a couple of you. You like to control the outcome. I like to control the outcome. I want to know that if I do X, Y, and Z is going to be the outcome. But I've realized in these last years is that I can't control outcomes as much as I want to. Doggone it, you think I'd learn. You think that you just finally get to the place where I totally surrender everything and say, God, whatever you want, I'm all in, both feet, I'm jumping up and down, like saying, Yeah, pick me. And yet I still try to control. Because I want certain outcomes. Maybe you can't relate, but I'm just telling you. From that perspective, I want to control. I'm a control freak. And God continuously reminds me I can't control circumstances. I can't. As much as I want to, as much as I try, I can't. In fact, there are times I feel like I pray harder and harder and harder and it just gets worse and worse and worse because I just can't seem to let go sometimes. Anybody else? Circumstances that we would not choose, that we would not pick. Bottom line is it's hard sometimes. But here it is. Jesus was in their presence. And he says, I've given you the Holy Spirit. You have all power to do what I've called you to do. He ascends into heaven and they're standing there going, wow, he just left us. You guys see what I'm seeing? Hey, he, he, he was just here. Can you imagine being there? Right there with Jesus, right there. And still being called out on the fact that you're just standing there gazing. Man. See, we have a task to do. And maybe we're not gung-ho about the task because we haven't taken God at his word and gathered like the disciples did and the men, women and children did and pray. So here's what I'd like to do just for a moment this morning, if you'll oblige me. Let's take a moment and ask God to work in our hearts. Let's ask God to open doors of opportunity. Let's ask God to help us be obedient. So here's what I want to do just for a minute this morning, just for a couple minutes. Let's all bow our head and pray. And if God would lay it on your heart to pray, you just stand and pray where you're at. Let's ask God to work in our hearts. Let's ask God to open doors of opportunity. Let's ask God to just go before us and give us his power to do what he's called us to do. So if God would lay it on your heart to pray, you just stand and pray. And then I'll close. Lord, we thank you so much that you don't give up on us. That you don't have a three, three strikes in your old policy. That you're a God that loves that cares for, is patient, is kind, is forgiving, over and over and over again. You love us that much. And Lord, I pray that just as the disciples, the apostles were gathered, it would have been awesome to be in your presence. And all of a sudden for you just to go up in the clouds and I'm sure we would have been like those that were gathered awestruck at your disappearing into the clouds. But reminded that as you went, you will one day come again. Reminded that we have the power to do what you've called us to do until that day comes. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, as a body of believers, knowing the hope that we have, that we would live out the gospel. Lord, not so much in, we're not talking about telling every little person we come into about Jesus. Lord, we know that that's not reality. We know that 
Lord, there are times when it's just circumstances don't allow for that. But God, might it ever be on our hearts and our minds? Might we be praying for opportunities that we can live it out? Opportunities, Lord, that we can share our faith and what the differences that you've made in our hearts and our lives. Lord God, I pray that we not waste opportunities, that we not miss opportunities, but to go forward with full confidence, Lord, that you'll go before us, that you go with us, that you come behind us. Lord, thank you for the hope to heaven that you've given to us and know you as our Savior. Lord, may we never grow weary of that hope. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 1, he went into heaven. John chapter 14 tells us what he did. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If, it not, if not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. So where I am, you may be also. What's he saying there? He goes, I want as many people with me as possible. He goes, where I go, I want you there with me. Is there any greater hope than that for us that know Him? No greater hope. Amen? Amen. No greater hope. And so we go back to our text there in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He builds on this. In verse 8 he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, and descended from David according to my gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. I'd say he went through some suffering at that point. In fact, uh, being like a criminal, where was he when he was writing this, remind me? Prison. In fact, take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Let's look at some of the things that he went through. Let's see what he was going through for the cause of Christ. Philippians chapter 1, and I want to begin reading verse 12. It says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. Wait a minute. He says, what I'm about to tell you, what I went through, did what? It advanced the gospel. It made the gospel message of Jesus Christ go forward with even more boldness. <laughs> Crazy. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. He says, no, it's, it's, it's common knowledge. I'm in prison for one reason, Jesus. That's it. I'm in prison because I follow Jesus. And because I am in prison, it has advanced the gospel. Look at verse 13, or sorry, verse 14. Most of the brothers I have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. Think about that. What hinders you from speaking the word of the Lord? Most of the time, it is what? Fear. Fear of what they're going to say. Fear of how they're going to respond. Fear of what they're going to think. Fear of what they might you know, do in response to what I tell them. We live in fear. And he says, what I've gone through has actually made the word of God go forth fearlessly. Isn't that amazing? He said, to be sure, verse 15, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. We see that even in our culture, don't we? We see those who are part of the prosperity theology. 
You know, if you just give your seed, God will multiply it. Meanwhile, their seed is coming in and coming in and coming in, and they're on the third Bentley. Bottom line is, they're preaching out of a different gospel. Verse 16 says, These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. But what does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ proclaimed, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, because I know that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and through the help of the Spirit in Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. He says, okay, I'm going to prison. The prison, the fact that I'm in prison has caused the gospel to advance. And if I die, so be it. It is what it is. Can you imagine having that outlook on life? Having the idea that you really just don't care because God's in control of it all. I don't know that I can say I'm there yet. As much as I'd like to say I could... You know, people for years have said, Pastor, it must be great having your personality. You could talk to anybody. My kids laugh at me. I'll go through the store at Wegmans and I'll get some person who's got a, some, you know, African name. I'm like, let me see here if I can guess. Nigeria, Sudan, Rwanda. You know, I'll take a guess at it. And I'm usually pretty close. And my kids all look at me like, oh, Dad, he's doing it again. <laughs> Am I right? I do it all the time. You know what it does? It creates a conversation. Oh, you've been to Africa? Yeah. It's, an, it's a conversation. I say, well, it must be really easy. You can talk to strangers. Big deal. Anybody can talk to a stranger. Anybody can do it with a... Be pay attention. Look, at, look around you. You can find something to talk about. That's not hard. But what he says here is this. Uh, let me find it again. It says, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed. I don't want to be ashamed. I don't think any of us in our heart want to be ashamed. But what is, once again, our motivation for opening our mouth? Or maybe we're in that other category that just haven't learned to open our mouth yet. But we need to. He says, but that now as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether it be by life or by death. And then he goes on to say, for to me, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, that's my motivation. Look down at verse 27. It says, just one thing. As citizens of heaven. If we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, where's our citizenship? Heaven. It's not in Rochester, New York. This is just where we're hanging out for a while until God calls us to our real home. So he says, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel. So if your home is heaven, he says to live your life worthy of the gospel. I think Paul is what he's saying here. He goes, it's all about the gospel. It's why I suffer. It's why I go through what I go through. So he says, then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. Of whom do we have to be afraid? Our neighbor? Our friends? 
coworker, a relative. He says, listen, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction from, for them, but for your salvation, and this is from God. We have nothing to be afraid of. We have nothing to be afraid of. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 24. It says, Five times I received the forty lashes minus one from the Jews. None of us have gone through that. Three times I was beaten with rods. None of us have gone through that. Once I received a stoning. None of us has gone through that. Once or three times I was shipwrecked. None of us has experienced that. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. None of us has experienced that. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing. None of us has gone through it like that. Not to mention other things. There is the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. He said, not only have I experienced all this physical persecution and, and frustrations and things that I've had to go through, there's always the concern of how these other churches are doing. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? Oh my, we haven't gone through anything. If boasting is necessary, I will boast about my weaknesses. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows I'm not lying. In Damascus, a ruler under King Herodias guarded the city of Damascus in order to arrest me. So I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. None of us has had to go through that. Probably the most any of us have ever had to go through is, well, they got upset with me because I shared something about church. So-and-so got mad at me because I told them that they were sin. So-and-so got mad at me because they won't talk to me anymore. They unfriended me on Facebook because I dare challenge them. That's not persecution. That's just people being stupid. Most of us have never understood and realized what it means to go through persecution. And he said, this is the very reason I am motivated to go through the suffering is because the gospel. For this sake, for the gospel's sake, I suffer. One more, Colossians chapter 1. I feel like we need to stop and pray again because we haven't gone through any of these things. And wow, we're just. Look at verse 23 and 24. Colossians 1 23 24. He says, If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith, and are not a shifted and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. He said, This very thing that I've suffered for, this very thing that I've experienced persecution for, is the very thing that motivates me to keep going. What will it take to get us motivated towards the gospel? I think the day is coming. I could be wrong. 
People have put dates on paper for when the Lord is going to come a thousand times and they've been wrong. Because no man knows the day nor the hour, right? But I have to wonder if it's not drawing nigh. We're seeing more and more of what God says would take place in the end days. More and more. If certain people in political realms get their way, it's going to become difficult. The question we have to answer, are we going to give in and cave or are we going to stand firm? Because you notice what he said here right away in verse 27. He says, God wanted to make known... No, wait, wrong one here. Yeah, it is. We proclaim Him warning and teaching everyone without wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Oh, I'm looking at the wrong verse here. Colossians 1, oh, 23. So he goes on, If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast. So what's our responsibility? Stay in it. Stay strong. Don't walk away from it now. Don't, go, don't give into it now. Now more than ever, you've got to stay committed. Amen. So, but the Word of God, I love this. Go back to our text here. I love this. Look at verse, verse 8, 9. For which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. What's that next phrase? Say it out loud. But the word of God is not bound. Say it again. But the word of God is not bound. So if the word of God is not bound and it's not going forward, whose fault is it? Come on. Ours. Because it's not locked up. It's not in a safe somewhere. It's not under lock and key. It is open. It is not bound it is not chained it is not forbidden to go forth right now the word of god has power and if it's bound it's because we have bound it because we are choosing to let it be hidden i love that in fact i love that back look at acts chapter 28 you should underline this verse acts 28 back a few pages acts chapter 28 and verse 31 I love this. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and what? Without hindrance. That's the gospel's effect. It has the ability to go forward. So the gospel is why I endure all things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he expounds on that just a little bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And beginning with verse 17. He says, For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. He calls everything that he went through a what? Light affliction. I don't know about you, but that's not light to me. I'm just saying. That's some pretty serious stuff. Go back to that shipwreck three times, stoned, whipped with rods, beat several times with 39 lashes. That's not light affliction to me. I don't like pain, but I certainly wouldn't like that. But he goes on. Verse 18, So we do not focus on what is seen, but, is what, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. He said there's something bigger in the picture here. The gospel is why I endure all things. And he tells us why in our text. So that we might attain salvation for the elect. I don't know who the elect are. He didn't know who the elect were. 
He said, the gospel's going out, because I don't know who they are. So we keep proclaiming. And I'll go through the suffering so that I can live out the gospel in my day-to-day living. And he says, if we died with him, we also will be alive with him. You know what this is a picture of? Baptism. It's a picture of baptism. You say, well, what's the importance of baptism? And why, why, why is that a big deal? Well, first of all, in Romans chapter 6, let me just explain this to you. There's some new folks that haven't seen my little uh, artistic ability of proclaiming out the baptism picture. In Romans chapter 6, verse 3, it says this. Or are you unaware of all that... Okay, you follow my about these glasses here. Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, if we were buried with him by baptism unto death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Here he says very clearly, the gospel is why I endure all things, so that they also may attain salvation. So if we died with him, we also will live with him. So, you've heard me do this before, but as I stand in the water of baptism, say, what's the importance of baptism? And first of all, it is for those who have already placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, not for infants. They haven't had that opportunity yet. So as those who, baptism in Scripture, in every place you see baptism in Scripture, baptism always follows belief, right? So once a person has put their faith and trust in Christ, the next step, the first step of obedience is baptism. So here's the waters of baptism. This is why sprinkling doesn't, doesn't cut it. And it's not my opinion. This is the Scripture. The Bible says it's immersion, and here's why. Because as I stand in the water, I form a what? A cross. What did Jesus Christ do on the cross? He died. He went under. Did he stay in the grave? No, he did what? He rose again. So the only way that baptism can fulfill Scripture in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and following is to be able to stand in the water, to picture his death, his resurrection, and walk in newness of life. That's why sprinkling doesn't do it. It cannot point to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You say, well, if I was baptized as an infant, does it count? Not really, because I was too. I was baptized as a baby. But the reality is, when I put my faith and trust in Christ, and my parents began to grow in their walk with the Lord, later I was baptized biblically, standing in the waters of baptism, just as Christ did, by the way. Christ went down into the water. He was baptized by John the Baptist, then came up out of the water. He himself was baptized by immersion. And so there are a lot of false teachings on this, but baptism doesn't save anywhere. It's this first step of obedience, right? So he says, verse 6 is the key to this, though. Look at verse 6. He says, For we know that if our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless. So when we stand up through the waters of baptism and we form the cross, we are putting to death our what? Our old life who we were before we put our faith and trust in Christ. That means who we were before we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ is being put to death. That's what he's saying here. I am putting my flesh to death. And now as Christ rose from the dead and I come up out of the water, I walk in newness of life. 
Because he says, whoever puts their faith and trust in Christ is a new creation, right? Old things have passed away. All things have become new. There is a new walk of life. That's what he's talking about. So he says, if we have died with him, if we have died with him, we're also going to live with him just as he is risen. So if we endure, we'll reign with him. A lot of scripture we could talk about that. And it says, if we are faithful, he is still faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Oh, he is faithful, isn't he? The more we could say there, but the reality is this. His motivating factor was the gospel. He lived it out daily because of who Jesus Christ was and what he did. What's our motivation? Has anything motivated you yet? If the love of Christ doesn't motivate you, if his death, burial, and resurrection doesn't motivate you, if his continuous mercy and grace doesn't motivate you, if the gospel doesn't motivate you, I don't know that anything would. And then it points to a greater need that you need Jesus Christ. But if you do know Jesus, it ought to be what motivates us. The gospel ought to be our motivator. He says, for this sake of the gospel, I suffer. We haven't suffered like him. None of us. I know in the Middle East, they're suffering. All parts of the Middle East. There are those daily who have found out their heads are lopped off. They're persecuted. My goodness, we have it easy here, don't we? We haven't had to go through that. We don't know what it's like. We don't have a clue. We don't. The least we could do is say, I'm going to go forth with boldness and courage and live my life in such a way that it exemplifies a picture of Jesus Christ and the gospel which has saved my soul. Amen? That's out of you what's in our heart. Maybe this morning you're here and say, well, I, don't, I don't even know if that's there. Well, then you've got to do something with God. You've got to do business with God. Only you can make that decision. But I can promise you with certainty this morning that not all roads lead to salvation. I don't care whether you claim to be a Catholic, a Baptist, a Lutheran, a Church of God, Church of Christ, or 27,000 other religions. What I really would like to know is, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you come to the place where you've acknowledged that you're a sinner? That Christ alone paid the price for your sin? And you put your faith and trust in him alone to save your soul. He says, the gospel motivates me. I want to live it out. Despite the persecutions, I'm willing to go through it because to die is live. Man, he lived it out. Amen? Let's live it out. We don't have to be an Apostle Paul. It can be John or Susie or Mark, or Michelle. Whoever you are, just live it out. He's not calling you to be Paul. He's calling you to be you and to live with the boldness of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where you do it. At work, at school, play, at home. Live it out. Be a picture of Jesus Christ. And for the gospel's sake, stand up. Amen?